Yeah. So, um, no, I honestly don't think that if I, if I had never said anything, I don't think anyone ever would have known. I did a really good job, just like anyone, I guess, who's hiding something that they're doing, um, of lying and like setting the conditions that when I was caught, which I was by like my teammates, like before games, overtraining, I was called out by my cousin, um, different things like that. And I was such a so good at setting the condition that when I was called out, it was like, oh, I'm just doing this to be a good athlete. Or you know what, I just wasn't feeling good that day. Um, so it was really terrible how good I was at hiding it. Hey, this is Kara Stroop, former lacrosse player from Temple University, mental health advocate and product director from Balance Position. You're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week, I'm excited to bring you Kara Stroop, who's a former Temple lacrosse player. She's a mental health awareness advocate. She's the product director at Balance Position, and she overcame an eating disorder that she hid for seven years uh, throughout her athletic career, uh, or the early part of her athletic career. So, Kara, can you start off by, you know, what kind of triggered this eating disorder for you? Yeah, and uh, thanks for having me, Kevin. Um, It's a a loaded question. (laughs) So I didn't know this at the time, but what really triggered it was a classmate in first grade, like inappropriately touched me. And I actually repressed that memory. And it didn't come back to me until my junior year of college, which was after I had like gone through that whole experience which is kind of crazy. Right. But, um, yeah, that was actually what I think was the catalyst to everything, but didn't know about that until way later. So it's crazy how a lot of this, like mental, these mental health issues that arise stem from something that like you don't even almost remember because yeah, you like suppress these feelings for so long. And Mm -hmm. as an athlete, that's like what you're taught to do almost. So it's like, yeah, you don't, you don't think about the impact that these things are, are having on you. So, I'm kind of curious, like when you have an eating disorder, are you Mm -hmm. like immediately consciously aware of, yes, I have a eating disorder, but I'm just going to (laughs) continue to do it. Or is it like it takes time to come to the realization? Right. So I feel like it's like any kind of addiction or negative coping skill that people develop at first. I don't think I was aware of like what I was doing, but then as time progresses, you start to like be like, oh, you know what, like maybe other people don't do this or um, you have in high school, I had um, my school had like people come and talk and give assemblies about things that could be going wrong. I'm like, oh, I kind of like I kind of do that. But, you know, it's completely normal because I wanted to keep doing it. And I didn't feel like it was um, really getting in the way of my life or my being able to accomplish anything. So Um, But then you get to a point, it's like, oh, you know what, this is like, uh, not really a good thing. And I'm kind of tired of it. And that's when you start to like, but even at that point, you're like, is it real? Or am I just making something up for like attention or so it's just 
ongoing fight in your brain. It's strange. So what was the eating disorder uh, for you? I've, I've interviewed some other athletes who have had eating disorders in the past. Uh, I, I know uh, Neha Uberoy was a tennis player, and hers mm-hmm. was she was bulimic. Okay. What, what was yours? Yeah, so it would um, it would almost like rotate into different things, and it, it wasn't constant, but um, I would do maybe like a couple weeks of overtraining and restricting, um, or then like it was more like uh, like bulimia um, tendencies. So it would like go back and forth between these different things, but they were all accomplishing the same need for control and order, I guess. Okay. Uh, so during this time, like when did you, I guess you come to the realization that there, like this was a problem and like, you didn't want to live like that anymore. Yeah. So, um, the end of my junior year, uh, we had won the state championship at my high school and things were, I was committed to play at temple and, um, my senior year, obviously we had a lot to accomplish. We were going for another state title And I had all these good things going for me and like a future. And um, I just really started to struggle with my eating disorder. And it was like really getting in the way of um, my everyday life. And that's when I was like, you had I had to choose between what I wanted to accomplish or letting the eating disorder kind of control my life. And I was just decided to not let it do that. And this was from the, the eating disorder started in fifth grade, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And now you're a junior in high school. So what things were ha- like happening that the eating disorder was like getting in the way of your life? Yeah, so um, it was fall of my senior year and we were in preseason for field hockey and I was a captain. And um, I remember on my 18th birthday, I must have thrown up like five times and I had a two a day that day. And I was just like, what am I doing? At the end of the day, it was almost like, man, this was a strange birthday and not the way that I like want to celebrate or, or be. So. so it was your birthday. Yeah, it really was because I turned 18. I was like an adult and I had I like saw college ahead of me and was like, I can't be doing this anymore. All it's right. not going to work. So how easy was it for you to hide the eating disorder? Like during this time, like you said, it was getting in the way of your life, but like were other people (laughs) noticing too or? Yeah. So, um, no, I honestly don't think that if I, if I had never said anything, I don't think anyone ever would have known. I did a really good job. Um, just like anyone, I guess, who's hiding something that they're doing, um, of lying and like setting the conditions that, when I was caught, which I was by like my teammates, like before games, um, over training, I was called out by my cousin, um, different things like that. And I was such a, so good at setting the condition that when I was called out, it was like, oh, I'm just doing this to be a good athlete. Or, you know what? I just wasn't feeling good that day. Um, so it was really terrible how good I was at hiding it. All right. The, one thing that that's interesting to me is the idea of like how overtraining is a form of an eating mm-hmm. disorder. So can you explain like what that looked like for you? Because I know a lot of athletes who, you know, two a days, three a days, like constantly doing this kind of thing. And, you know, I'm, I did a similar thing and like ended up hurting my knee because I was just like doing too much. Not that, I mean, mm-hmm. I was eating a ton, don't get me wrong, yeah. but I just mean like, 
overtraining mm-hmm. in general, I've never heard of it from a eating disorder perspective. Right. So the way that I, um, I was actually at Temple like two weeks ago talking to the team um, about this kind of stuff and was saying that it doesn't have to be like a, you don't have to meet the criteria for an eating disorder to experience um, disordered thoughts or engage in those disordered behaviors. And it's really about what is driving you to overtrain. So like for you, it might've been like getting back, like getting, getting your body feeling right and actually training. But if I'm, if I'm overtraining, um, and the eating disorder is driving that, then I'm, I'm doing it to, um, burn a few extra calories after an already long day. Um, and I might be saying the same thing that you had said, but really it was the eating disorder that was driving it. So like the intent of Mm -hmm. the overtraining. Gotcha. Exactly. Uh, so how are you able to perform at an elite level while still struggling with the eating disorder? Like you won state championships, you played division Mm -hmm. one college lacrosse. Like how did you still maintain that elite level by kind of like suppressing your nutrition and working too hard? Yeah, it's actually, I, I am so lucky. Um, that was what, that was the first thing that my mom and my family, we checked out was my health because especially, um, bulimia, it takes a really hard toll on your heart. And, um, that's what we were really afraid of. And in high school I had a, they had to put a heart monitor on me because my heart rate was so low. Um, and, and then I like, I had like breathing issues and things like that. So they just chalked it up to asthma. But other than that, nothing else, like nothing really got in the way. So they put the heart rate monitor on. This is like mm-hmm. before they, they knew yeah. that you had an eating disorder. Yep. And it was just, they were like, Oh, she just has a low heart rate. Um, but after I got tested, after, um, I came out that I had an eating disorder, Luckily, there was like nothing. My body was fine, thankfully. So is an eating disorder and depression, like are they kind of, do they kind of coincide or can one exist without the other? Yeah, so um, they can. They can exist. Um, But um, for me, like I I think it was, I I was never depressed until I went through treatment and was put on a certain medication that triggered a a depression. Um, I think for me, the eating disorder was, um, was like a, an anxiety thing and control. Okay. Yeah. So you're saying that you, that you then became medicated once you got help, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And that kind of, that, that was a a side effect to the medication is what you're saying. So what ultimately gave you the courage to finally tell your mom about the eating disorder? Like, were you afraid to tell her? Oh, my gosh. I remember I was in the car with her. It was after field hockey practice. We were going to the store. And in my head, I'm, like, having this battle. And I'm like, oh, just say it. Just say it. And Or, no, don't say it. Nothing's even wrong with you. Um, and then eventually I just kind of, like, shut down all of my feelings and blurted it out. And was like, I think I have an eating disorder. And she at first thought I was kidding. Um, and then I was like, no, I'm serious. And she's like, how long? And I said, since like fifth grade. And then she like cried, but 
But yeah, I was having a battle and I always wanted to like say it. And I'd have those little things like when I was with my friends or my sister. And I just never did until that moment. It was like skydiving. Like you just had to jump. Right. And I know a lot of people who struggle with addiction or other kind of things and that that's like one of the biggest healing things you could do is just like just get it out there like whether you write it down you say it it's like you gotta you gotta let it let it go Mm -hmm. um so i guess how did that feel like when you did go skydiving for the first time by uh by by opening up so it was freeing um and then i realized shortly after that there was like an immense amount of work that I was going to be having, like have to do. Um, it wasn't just like, I was, I wasn't just going to say it and then not have to do anything. Like now you're or, fixed. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Like, Oh, now I said it, like I'm good. Um, so then I got, I had to get evaluated. And then, um, during I was in intensive outpatient at the, uh, rent, the Renfrew center, they deal with eating disorders. Um, so I had to like leave practice. I couldn't go to practice two nights a week and, I had to leave school early on those days. Um, and I was like, and part of me didn't want to give up my eating disorder. Part of me still wanted to use that um, coping mechanism. So it was like this, oh, well, now you said it. So there's really no turning back. Right. So when you were leaving school early and missing practice, like, did your teammates know why you were going? Or like, were you afraid of how the team would view you? Yeah, so um, immediately, once I, like, told my family, I told my close lacrosse teammates who were playing fall ball for lacrosse, but, and then once I found out I had to do intensive outpatient and it would be missing some field hockey, and I was a captain, I had to figure out how to handle it, and I decided to, like, gather the team and just tell them very bluntly, like, what I was dealing with, and why I'd be missing practice. And luckily, I um, was never feel f- fearful of hiding it. Once I like came out about it, I had a, a friend who told me to lie and not tell anybody that I had it because I'd be bullied. Um, but I was like, who is going to bully me at this school? And good luck. But um, yeah, I decided and I trusted people too. I trusted that everyone was mature enough to respect what I was going through and support me. And if they had nothing nice to say, then just leave me alone. And luckily people were very supportive. So it turned out that way. It wasn't like people were giving you a hard time ever. No, I had the only bad experience I had was a girl in my math class who I wasn't very close with asked me why I left class early. And I was like, do you really want to know? And we weren't in the same circles, so I think she had some opinion of me that may not have been true. And I was like, I'll tell you, like, believing that she would handle the information maturely. And I told her I I went to an eating disorder clinic, and she didn't believe me, thought I was kidding, and then proceeded to yell to the class, Kara has an eating disorder, guys, can you believe it? And I was like, I mean, I didn't really like whatever if they found out, but my teacher turned around and she was like, why did you even tell her to give me that look? And I was like, I don't, that was, that was the only thing she genuinely just, and I don't know if she ever, I mean, maybe she read the article that I wrote, but other than that, I don't think she believed me before that. Right. Yeah. Maybe like when she blurted it out, she like 
didn't think you were serious or something. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you, I thought you I was know. thought I was joking around and that I was like, I don't know. All right. So so what treatments did you receive and like what seemed to be the most beneficial? Like you said you had medication, but that mm-hmm. kind of had some some side effects that weren't so positive. Yeah. So, I mean, the tricky thing is that we didn't know what was like driving the eating disorder. Um so it's like you have to treat that underlying um, whatever's underneath and nobody knew. I didn't even know what was going on. Um, so I did, well, we went to Renfrew and I had to do some like one-on-one therapy, um, group therapy, which I liked cause it just like made me feel and like I wasn't alone and also to hear from different perspectives, but really just journaling and honestly, like just you, you can do all that, but if you don't, rely on those coping skills that you learn or reach out to someone when you're like struggling, then you won't actually move forward. So it's really the work that you put in and those moments of feeling uncomfortable and pushing through those feelings and doing the right thing. That's like when I made the most progress, when people held me accountable to. Which situations were most uncomfortable for you? Yeah. So, um, like if I was out to dinner with my friends and I remember one night, um, and I just felt like I ate too much and I felt very full. And that was always a a really easy trigger for me to, um, to purge. And I just remember like having that, it's like almost like an itch, like using a drug or something. And it's like, Oh man, I really wish I could just like get some relief because, um, you do get a relief physically and, and you're like, brain you get those endorphins that shoot and you feel better and you're rewarded for it so I had to like learn to sit through that and eventually the itch passed but it's frustrating yeah I I can imagine um so when did you finally feel like you got a hold of the eating disorder and you could kind of push away those itches that you would get to to purge um, I'm just thinking like in terms of your transition to college when you might have not have had the support system you were used to back at home. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And, um, it's funny because like it, those itches, they don't go away. Um, it's just like you're, you're constantly managing and the better that I'm taking care of my physical and mental health, the less, um, or the weaker those that itch is but every once in a while and even in college too they came on or like when I get hurt um like if I was out for a practice or a week I I strained a muscle in my rib one week and I couldn't do anything and then I start to feel the guilt of not being able to work out and then you're starting to have those those feelings and um I had to tell my coach I was like I'm like kind of going crazy here and they're like all right well you can do limited stuff that just so to keep your anxiety down so you're not hurting yourself but it's really about being self-aware and making those positive choices and doing the things that you know you need to do to stay moving forward but I'm definitely had moments where I take dips I always say recovery is not like an up like a completely uphill slope it's has its ups and downs and you just gotta address it when things go wrong and make the adjustment. Yeah. Just like life in general, it's right. You want to be, you want to be trending upwards, but it's never going to be a linear, like you said. Yeah. So I'm interested into 
talking about some of the injuries that you had uh, mm-hmm. as a college athlete, and you said that was kind of that triggered some some uh, impulses to try to to, to yeah. purge at those times because mm-hmm. you felt guilty about not working out and stuff. So, mm-hmm. what kind of injuries did you have in addition to the rib injury, and how did you? maintain that self-awareness to know that you needed to like find a new outlet I was extremely lucky I was able to start and play in every single game for four years which is honestly incredible like I for some reason injury wise was spared um, I had a few like ankle twists and spray my ankles. My teammates will laugh because I spray. I hurt myself and like not even playing sports. Um, and the rib thing that happened twice, but it it was during winter both times. Um, and it was from coughing, which is like terrible <laughs> to even say out loud. But um, luckily, I I can't imagine what would happen if I had an injury that put me out for longer than a week. Cause then I think mentally that would really take a toll on me. But, um, injury wise in college, I was, I was very lucky and very fortunate. Did you, do you have like a method to your madness to staying injury free or do you think it's just luck? I, I really don't know. I would say luck. I'm going to knock on wood cause I actually had my first like out of college injury, um, like two weeks ago. I'd sprain my ankle and I told my teammates and they were cracking up. They were like, you were due for a sprain. <laughs> so I, I really don't know. I think okay. it's luck. All right, cool. Uh, so what did you, did you struggle at any point in college? I know for myself, like mm-hmm. when I was going into college, I went to Rutgers and mm-hmm. that Boo. was, I'm I, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't play any sports there, so it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, I know you, you, te- you guys played Rutgers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one of our rivals. That was a good one. Uh, so my injury was my senior year of high school, and I lost my identity from mm-hmm. losing my sport. So that transition to freshman year of college was brutal. I went from like being, you know, on the what is it, National Honor Society, to mm-hmm. being put on academic probation because I was like getting D's in classes and just like so lost. <laughs> so yeah. did you have like? any low points throughout your college career that either were that kind of affected your eating disorder at all or yeah I'm laughing because like I I think like your how you just explained that is so accurate for people transitioning into college it's almost like you're just being thrown into it like a baby being thrown into a pool and you have to figure out how to like manage yourself and be successful in the classroom and in the field and um, still have a social life. And I really struggled my freshman year. I thrived athletically, like killed it, Um, failed a four credit class, which tanked my GPA my freshman year and um, really like had to dig my way out of that hole. Um, So like was staying up way too late um, didn't know how to take my medicine. I was like asleep at lift. So it was really just like, I think freshman year was probably my most like out of, luckily nothing happened and I stayed out of trouble. But um, I was just like, I had no idea how to take care of myself. And it was like, it was like all, it was like trial, but like all error. Like I was just like, that didn't work. That didn't work. That didn't work. And then I like, 
I don't know what happened, but I was like, yeah, maybe I could like not do what I did because I really that, didn't do yeah, so hot. Didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. I think my my low point freshman year was when I showed up to my psychology class uh-huh. and I see everyone like with their head down and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, like what's going on? I'm like, everyone's taking an exam. I'm like, I had no oh. idea we had an exam. I was like, obviously I didn't do very well on it because I didn't right. study at all. But mm-hmm. that was like a wake up moment for me. I'm like, Kevin, you got to freaking get your shit together, dude. Like, yeah. what the hell? Yeah. No, seriously. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what would you crazy. say, what would you, what would you say was your lowest point throughout your recovery and how did you kind of bounce back? Yeah. So I think it was, um, actually I think it was, I was like pretty good at managing myself and then I don't know what it was my junior year. I in college, I was like, I, I wasn't like restricting or, or purging or anything, but I still, um, I was like weighing, I bought a scale and like hid it under my bed so my roommates couldn't find it. And I was like weighing myself all the time, like four times a day, just to like, uh, I guess it's like, um, weakening the itch because I, I still didn't like use actual like, behaviors but that's still in my eyes like not doing something I'm doing something that I'm not supposed to be doing but I think that that was probably um I had to like get myself out of that and I was like trying to overtrain but again even in college like and everyone knew me as someone who had struggled but was like still very successful I'm still hiding those things and um learning on my own how to like get through those and kind of take the advice that I give to everybody else is, you know, that's a lot more difficult to do. Right. Did, with the scale thing, like, was it, mm-hmm. did you have like a number in mind, like when you looked on the scale or was it just like it, mindless? Yeah. It's just like, I don't know what it is. It's a, it's a part of like control. And it's like, if there's any fluctuation, which there is like all the time, I would just like freak. And it's almost like, um, like you're out, you're like outside and then all of a sudden you're like not wearing any clothes like that. It's like feeling of like panic, like, oh my gosh, like what, what am I doing? Or it's like just pure anxiety. And I, I don't know why writing it down is like feeling like I'm controlling it. But since then I actually, um, like gave the scale away and I haven't weighed myself in like two years because it just drive, it just drove me nuts and put me on the wrong side of the mental health spectrum. So, right, so you're saying that, of- that journaling kind of mm-hmm. helped you take control of that situation. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so how did you eventually get involved with balance position? Right. So my senior year, and I was always open with my college team too. And I was lucky enough to have um, a coaching staff that was very open about those difficult discussions and wanted to create a culture where we could talk about mental health. And I was, it was great, but, um, I forget what I was just going to say. How you got involved with balance position. Yeah. I got you. So it was always a goal for me to, like I said, I, I didn't feel that like shame and I felt confidence, confident enough in myself as a person to like be a role model or at least like an example, like, Hey, like she's going through it like, she can do it. Then maybe I can like get better too. So, um, I've decided to write my story 
um, through Temple Athletics, wrote it, and then they published it, and it, like, got a crazy amount of, like, shares and views, and um, people were, like, messaging me, and it actually became very overwhelming uh, because I, like, gave away a piece of myself, and then, like, in a very vulnerable way, and then um, all of these people are, like, telling me that they, like, relate so much to the story, and so that I had to, like, manage that, too, and, like, keep my boundaries to make sure that I didn't, like, fall off balance. But actually through that, um, Vince, they got in touch with me, and they wanted me to be, like, a like a like on their athlete advisory board. So I was talking to them for, like, a couple times a month, and then they really liked what I had to say, and then they're like, we'd love to keep working with you. And I didn't know that you could, like, work remotely because I was – um. I was planning on moving to to Texas after I graduated. My now husband, he's he was stationed in El Paso. So I was moving there. Um, and then it, I was just able to work on it. And now we're here. Cool. So how do you think, you know, balance position and the app uh, could have, you know, could be a resource to present to prevent, you know, athletes from going through what you went through? Yeah. So just honestly, um, I don't know if you've ever like gone to therapy or saw a psychiatrist, but if you see, okay, if you see a psychologist, it's like pretty typical to see them like once a week or maybe like once every two weeks and you go in every day and, or every week and they're like, well, how were you this week? And you're like, man, like, I guess I was pretty good or, you know, I had one day, but you're not actually providing them accurate information. And then even worse, your psychiatrist who you might see once a month and they're the ones prescribing you medicine. They're like, well, what, what's going on this month? And I'm like, Oh, well nothing really. And so I'm not giving them accurate information. And I think for me, um, that was what I needed. Um, when I was going through that time and actually my mom, she, we have the data tracking piece, um, on in the app, but my mom did that herself on a calendar my senior year of high school when I was going through everything and color coded it on days when I, when I had bad days or when I engaged in negative behaviors and coping skill like mechanisms. And she was able to give that information to my doctor so that they could provide more effective treatment for me because otherwise I would have gone in and been like, "Mm, I don't know. I think I'm okay. Like any typical teenager would do. Yeah. Exactly. With like no self-awareness. And so, yeah, it's a way of keeping tabs on how you're feeling and it's a, Mm -hmm. yeah, like a quantitative thing that you can give your psychologist or your psychiatrist. So, so, so what medication were you on? Just thinking like someone listening to this who might be on the same medication, like it Mm -hmm. seems like it didn't work for you or it it wasn't the solution. Honestly, it's, like I was put on, God, all the names are like, I, I actually the just this summer I got off all of my medication. That's been something I've been like, I was on like six different kinds. I was on like Adderall and Prozac and like a bill, like there were a ton. And, but the biggest thing I think is like, everyone is so different. Their body responds to medication in so many different ways. And then you have combinations that don't work. And, um, it's just like finding the right fit for you, which is like trial and error, which is, can be an exhaustive process, but eventually you'll find that balance. And then, um, but yeah, the medicine thing was a really tough thing for me to, 
it was constant like trial and error and this didn't work. And I was actually hospitalized twice my senior year because of medicine. And then I got off, like I was stable, but then through like my time in college and afterwards, I was just working on getting off all of it because I don't think I needed a lot of it, honestly. Okay. I actually don't need any of it now. So yeah, if you're fine now without it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And when it's, you were when you were hospitalized, it's because you had mm-hmm. suicidal thoughts. Like, yeah, I guess yeah, like what so. was going through your head at that point in time? Because I, I feel like I like when I was going through my low points, mm-hmm. I would I would think about like what the world would be like without me, and I kind of okay. thought like no one would care, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I never had like a plan or anything. Like I didn't take it like seriously. So I'm just curious, mm-hmm. like what was going through your head. Yeah. So the the two experiences were so different. Both um, were suicidal. But the first one was like, I was the medication combination threw me into like mania, where like I was having like crazy impulses. And I was like crawling out of my skin. It's I can't my my family, <laughs> like, honestly, they are superhumans for like, Like, I don't know how they did what they did that year. I don't even remember most of it because I was so out of it. The first one was mania. And I just, like, couldn't – it was like a ball of fire. Like, I could not be kept safe. The second time, which happened in the spring, it was just, like, pure depression. And um, within, like, seven days of being put on this medication – I was hopeless. I had like a great life. I really did. I, I had a future ahead of me, but I was like, for for whatever reason, I don't know why I like gravitated this way, but the only options were I was either going to kill myself or I was going to move to Florida and start a new life because I, I don't, it's just so ridiculous, but that is what my brain was telling me. And I didn't understand that it was the medication that was making me feel that way. I thought it was lacrosse. So like when I got into the hospital, they were like, why are you here? And I was like, I hate lacrosse. That's why I'm here. And I just really couldn't understand it. And then eventually I got off, like the medication got out of me, but, um, and then I was like playing lacrosse that spring and we won the championship again, but like, and then I went to play at Temple. So it's just crazy what your brain can do and tell you. It's incredible. Yeah. It comes up a lot on the podcast of like the brain is a powerful tool and it can either be used positively or negatively. And yeah. I know for me as an athlete, a lot of times it was used negatively with just like the thoughts I was telling myself and believing, yeah. you know. So, yeah, yeah it's, yeah. A, it's a common thing for sure. So <laughs> did you have any hobbies outside of lacrosse? I know you won the, the 2016 mm-hmm. uh, YRL Unsung Hero Awards for some of the work that you did uh, yeah. outside the sport. So what what were some of your hobbies? Yeah, so that was actually for um, my senior year. I once I wrote that article, um, I uh, well one I just put my article out there, and then I did a few like talks at high schools and stuff, and um, just like spreading awareness. That's how I won that. But outside of lacrosse, like I love people, um, hanging out with my teammates. Luckily in Philly, there are a ton of good like gems to go and eat so we'd try and like make a like a brunch list and go to different like cool quirky places um I love to write that's like I mean you get this too like 
athletes are people and we have different parts of ourselves that sometimes don't um, look the right way, like with that athlete persona. So my writing has always been something very like outside of my athlete persona because like they're, they just look different. They don't look like they'd go together. Um, so that was something that I was happy I could combine and something that, um, my teammates really didn't know about me. Like if they, if I said anything about it, they like might think it was a joke until like I put it out there like, Hey, I really actually do love writing. That's cool. So Yeah. Is it just like articles or like, do you like do poetry or any like, no. In fifth grade. No, but, um, yeah, I, I, I like articles. Um, if you look at the balance position blog posts, it's like, I write most of them. Um, and then I like, I like fiction and eventually I would, I would like my goal, which I think is like even more important than anything I've ever done. I would love to write a book. That's, that's on my bucket list. What's it going to be about? I think it would be about my eating disorder. All right, cool. And this would be a chapter. No. <laughs> yeah, the Heads and Tails podcast chapter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I want to write a book too, so to the audience. Mm-hmm. Within the next year, I, I got my 100th episode coming up this weekend as we uh, record here. And b- before the end of next year, I want to have a book written. And I'm not saying published, but I'm saying Yeah, like a manuscript. Written. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the same exact path. I Every day I have to write like three pages. Have you been doing it? Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, it's better Except than me. So not on the weekends. All right. Yeah. You need a break. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you know if any of your teammates struggle with an eating disorder? Yeah. So I I think it's really prevalent in at least from my perspective as a female athlete for female athletes to maybe not have like a, a diagnosed eating disorder, but to um, really struggle with that disordered thinking and um, trying, like, even, like, being obsessed with counting your calories. That's being driven through by a negative way and not through, like, a positive way um, or just, like, body image or um, definitely some. So, yeah, there were a few a few instances and girls who struggled at times, and I, I think it's really, it's really common, okay. unfortunately. Did you like talk to them like when that stuff was happening or? Yeah. So it's, it's, um, I was lucky enough to be a person on the team who people felt like they could talk to about those things. I think because I was so open of course, yeah. and I'm so open, like people just tell me things. Um, so yeah, they, yeah, uh, I had a teammate talk to me about it and then, I mean, I knew something was going on, but I'm not the person who like. We were playing it gently, gotcha. how to approach it, and yeah. Okay, cool. So what has your transition to life after lacrosse been like? It seems like your the support system you had with the team mm-hmm. seemed to be really beneficial to you. So like, yeah. what, what has your what has it been like to, with that transition to life after lacrosse for you? Mm-hmm. So last year was my first year out, and it's really strange, and I know that you can relate to this, but it's like breaking up with a part of yourself because, like you said, you lose that identity piece. Um, so right after school, I I moved to El Paso, um, and I like I don't speak Spanish, so it was hard for me to get a job. It's really it's literally right on the border. If you've ever seen Logan or Sicario. 
that's where it takes place. Gotcha. Okay. But um, less action packed for me. Um, <laughs> right. But yeah, so um, I was so used to like my schedule being filled from like 6.30 a.m. to like 8. And then you go and you like don't – you feel like you don't have purpose. Like I still have the balance position stuff, but um, I wasn't coaching in El Paso. Um, so I was like – I actually felt like went through a period of time where I was like depressed because like my life was just so different and I wasn't used to like downtime and um, – like a, I felt like I had lost a part of myself. Um, but then I like fought through it and I got a job and I felt like I had purpose. And then here, well, I'm back at home cause my husband's deployed, but, um, my, like my family's all around. And as long as I'm around people and have structure and purpose, I'm good to go. Okay. So you, but, you gravitate towards those situations. Yeah. Um, has there been anything else that's been that's helped you in that transition? Like, is it working out more, yoga? I don't know. Yeah. After you leave athletics, it's like your relationship with exercise changes because it's not like even just um, even just like the thought of like timing myself doing like a run was anxiety provoking. I'm like, oh, my God, I feel sick to my stomach because – I'm like reimagining myself on the line, like about to do a 300 yard shuttle. I'm like having flashbacks, but, um, yeah, no, it's really nice that I can do whatever I want in the gym. I work out often like six out of the seven days, um, because it's really good for me and my mental health. I, I write, I read, um, I, I journal, um, I make sure that I'm connecting with people every day um, keeping in touch with my teammates and um, my classmates and yeah, those things keep me balanced. And it's, as long as I do like X, Y, Z things, that's like the formula for me doing well. Okay. That yeah. was my, that was gonna be my next question. It was, what was your formula <laughs> for finding success and happiness in life? But it seems like you've, uh, you just explained that one. Well, that and like a ton of trial and error to figure out the formula. Trial and a lot of error, like you mentioned. Yeah. I think yeah. that's that's one thing that, that athletes struggle with too and something that I've struggled with mm-hmm. or have had to accept is like failure is not a bad thing. Yes. You know, yep. if, as long as you learn from it and you can move on and, and get better in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're, you're, you're resonating with that one as well. Yep. Uh, so as we wrap up the interview here, uh, what would you say to your fifth grade self the moment you realized that you had an eating disorder? I would just tell her to just tell somebody because I feel like we could have avoided a lot of other things along the way. But then again, maybe it was meant to happen. But um, I would say just to tell mom. Just tell her and then get it taken care of. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't have had this great podcast conversation either. Right. But... Yeah. It's, you know. You... <laughs> Uh, so where can people find you on social media or do you not want to because it, it's overwhelming? No, no. <laughs> my um, my Twitter is, I think it's kstroop4. And then um, my Instagram is just karastroop. Really easy. All right. We'll, we'll link that all up in the in the show notes. And then to finish out the, the interview, what I ask all my guests, mm-hmm. is uh, especially the athletes, is what's your definition of toughness today? Okay. I would say my definition of toughness is 
making the decision to move forward despite what life throws at you. So even if it's an inch, like you could, if you didn't do anything all day and like felt like you failed, if at least you got better at one thing and you found a way to move forward, then that's toughness. All right, cool. I, I like that definition. Not one I've heard yet. Uh, but Kara, <laughs> thank you very much for uh, coming on the podcast, sharing your story. And I could tell why your teammates felt comfortable enough to talk with you and stuff because you're very easy to talk to. You're very open and uh, you're think, definitely you're the same way too. I'm sure people just tell you things. Oh, thanks, Kara. I, I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. Thank but you for having me. Of course, anytime. <laughs>